It would be my joy if you would join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll be walking through verses 11 through 15, and we've been walking through this letter now for, I would say, many weeks since the beginning of August. And for me, I know personally it's been a joy as we've thought about what the Lord's doing in our hearts to cultivate weakness. And the desire of this sermon, the prayer for this sermon is that we would become the type of church that would become ambassadors for Jesus Christ, just as Drew shared in his video, that, that we wouldn't be people that just bask in the love of Jesus and receive the love of Jesus and be overwhelmed by the love of Jesus that we keep it to ourselves, but that the love of Christ would compel us and control us and to send us that we might share Jesus with others. So it's been a joy for the Lord to cultivate weakness in us. And I've been praying, Lord, would you do more, not just in us, but through us, that others might know the love of Christ. So we begin here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray this morning that you would give us hearts as your ambassadors. Lord, that you would pour your love, your great love, Father, your great love through your Son, that the Holy Spirit would pour your love into our hearts, that we might not just be overwhelmed that you love sinners like us, but that, Lord, you would make us ambassadors to share this incredible news this good news that Jesus loves sinners with others. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, your coworker, Tommy, texts you late one night to say he's in a really bad place. His work's been piling up. The boss is hovering over him all the time. He's really stressed out. His marriage seems like it's completely falling apart. He has no hope. He has no faith in anything. But tonight, he says, your name came to his mind. Something told him that he needs to text you. He needs to call you. And what are you going to say to Tommy? How will you respond to his feelings tonight of hopelessness. Sarah, she's your classmate at Western Kentucky. 
To everyone around Sarah, she looks like she has it all together. She's on the dean's list. She's a leader in her sorority. She has the most coveted internship that anybody would want next summer already lined up. When she's in a crowd, she's the life of the party. She seems like she's on top of the world. She seems so happy, so full of life, yet she reveals to you. She confides in you that she feels completely empty. When she reaches out, what do you say to Sarah? How do you respond to her emptiness? Thanksgiving's coming up, which for some people, that sounds like a blessing. I mean, you're talking family, you're talking football, apple pie for me. It's my mom's homemade rolls. I don't know who in here makes rolls, but they don't compete with my mama's rolls. And so I look forward to Thanksgiving. But for others, Thanksgiving sounds miserable. Why? Because your family doesn't go to church. Your family seems to feel everything but thankful. And, and they don't love the Jesus that you love. In, in fact, they ridicule the Jesus that you love. So what are you going to say this year to every snarky comment at the Thanksgiving table? What are you going to say when they ridicule you this year, when they call you a fool again? Can I tell you that the main indicator of what you say or don't say or even how you say it in every situation has little to nothing to do with what they say to you and everything to do with what's going on in your heart. It has little to nothing to do with what people are going to say to you in your life, at your workplace, from your neighbors, at the Thanksgiving table, and everything to do with what's already going on in your heart. What's going on in your heart this morning? What's motivating you in these moments when you have the opportunity to speak about Jesus? This is what matters. This Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to talk about what it means to be a minister of the gospel, to, to be a minister of reconciliation, to, to be an ambassador for Christ, as Paul calls each and every believer in here today. And next week, we're going to talk about what it means to do this. Like, how do you see people differently now that you're an ambassador to Christ? And how do you share the gospel clearly? What do you say? When do you not say anything? But today, this morning, I want us to see, I want us to ask ourselves, why? Why do we do it? What's going on in your heart? What motivates you, what compels you to share or to stay silent? Let me say this from the jump. It's not a matter of whether or not you're afraid today. Every single one of us in here this morning is motivated by fear. The question is, what kind of fear motivates what you say or you don't say? And it's not a matter of whether or not your heart loves today. The question is, 
what love is ruling and controlling your heart? What kind of love dictates what you say or what you don't say or what you do or what you don't do or how you say it? What's going on in your heart? And this morning, I'm praying that the Lord would fill us with the right kind of fear and the right kind of love that only he can do so that he gets all the glory through all our interactions in life and and people around us get all the joy that we have in Jesus. That's my prayer today. Lord, fill us. Holy Spirit, fill us with the right kind of fear, the right kind of love for your glory and others' joy. So the the first thing, the the heart of the ambassador, the the first thing that you have to have in your heart if you're ever going to share the gospel is the right fear. The right fear. Because we all, again, fear someone or something. Maybe you don't see yourself as like a scaredy cat, but every one of us has fear that's in our hearts. There's something that we're afraid of. And there are wrong fears that lead us to say things or do things that are not pleasing to the Lord. But there's a right fear, a a righteous fear that's living in all of Jesus that does everything that you want to do. It does everything in your life to please Jesus that others might have joy in Jesus. So we have to search our hearts this morning to know what we fear because what we fear drives what we do. Notice in verse 11, Paul says this, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Now I learned when I was a little kid or when I was in youth group, That whenever you see therefore, you must ask yourself what? What's it there for? Why does Paul begin this section about being an ambassador by talking about fearing the Lord? Why does he do that? Well, it's because of the verse right before this one. In fact, it's, it's an unfortunate page or section break in our Bibles because he says this in verse 10 right before. For we must all. You might want to circle that in your Bibles. We must all, that means every single one of us in here today, every single one of the people at your workplace, everybody in your neighborhood, everybody on the face of the world. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul says every single one of us will one day stand before Jesus. Every single one of us will have to give an account for the life we've lived, what we've done, what we've said, what we've not said, what we have done with this Savior named Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. It's true for everybody in the whole world, all seven billion people. It's pointed that they're going to die, and and it's appointed that one day they will stand before Jesus. So let's start with a little statistics today. One out of one people are going to die, and one out of one people 
will stand before Jesus. Everybody. Let that sink in. You will stand before Jesus. Now, now if, if all that was mattered is, all, if all that, that mattered was everything that we could see, like if the world around us and our jobs and everything around us, if this was it, then, then yes, we would live differently, right? We would watch different stuff on TV. We would pursue different aims. We would spend our lives with different people. We would change our calendars to be different. Like it would make sense that UK football losing again to Tennessee would be like life or death if this is all that there was. It would make sense that the stock market, stock market going up or going down would make you or break you if this is all that there was. Like, I would totally understand that a bad grade at Western would crush you or that your job could consume you and it'd be all that you thought about if this is all that there was. But if every single one of us has to stand before Jesus, if every single one of us will have to give an account to Jesus how we've lived our lives in light of him being the king of kings, then that changes everything. That changes everything for you. No matter if you're eight, no matter if you're 50, no matter if you're 80, that changes everything for you today. Dane Ortland says this, the time is short. Christ will return one day and all opportunities to repent will be in the past. So urgency is demanded. This motivates Paul. This is what's going on. We're talking about what's going on in our hearts. This is what's going on in the heart of Paul. This is why he intentionally changes his whole calendar. This is why he intentionally changes every conversation and changes where he lives and changes where he moves and changes everything he thinks about. Because knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing that he will one day stand before Jesus, what do I have to do? I have to persuade men. We must persuade people by the good news of the gospel. Sadly, I tend to live differently, though. Maybe you're like me. I tend to live differently. If I was writing honestly this verse from my perspective on what motivates me, it would say this. Therefore, knowing the fear of people, I seek to please people. Knowing the fear of people, I seek to please people. Instead of wanting to persuade others so that they see Jesus clearly and and love him eternally and treasure him forever. I want to please others. I want people to approve of me. I hope people like me. I can live my life wondering what will people think of me if I do this or if I say that or if I don't do this. Instead of living my life wanting people to love Jesus, who loves me simply because he loves me, not because of anything I've ever done. Who loves me simply because of 
He loves me, not because I've been enough, not because I've been impressive, not because I have presented enough that he would approve of me. No, he loves me simply because he's full of grace. He's full of love for sinners like me. So we, we shouldn't care at all if people are impressed with us. The question our heart should be, are they impressed with Jesus? Are they impressed with Jesus, our Savior? When we ask questions like, what will they think about me? What will they think about me if I talk about Jesus? What, what will they say if I bring up the gospel in this conversation on campus? What will they say about me when I walk away? Or will they think that I'm weird that I brought this up? Will they like me? Will they, will they approve of me? Was I memorable? Was I impressive? All these questions, all these thoughts reveal that we're not in awe of Jesus. We're in awe of people. We're not in awe of Jesus. We're in awe of people. I heard Jackie Hill Perry pray the other day at a conference, and she said, where we fear people more than we fear you, Lord, deliver us. That's a good prayer. Where we fear people more than we fear you, Lord, deliver us. But there's another ditch on the other side, because it's not just... Sometimes it's not a fear of people or a fear of the Lord. It's a fear of, of losing. It's a fear of looking weak, a fear of not being in control. So, so maybe the verse for you would be, therefore, having a fear of appearing weak or a fear of losing an argument. I put people in their place. It's the common mistake. If we want to win the battle instead of thinking about the war. Or let me put it in other terms. We want to win Facebook. We just don't care about eternity. We want to win the argument at the workplace, but we're not thinking about their eternal souls. No, we should not want to please others or prove ourselves to others or put others in their place. We should seek, like Paul, to persuade others. I remember early on in the church plant that I would get in these discussions at Spencer's with a college student or on campus with a college student or with young people in our city uh, back when we first started the church. And I remember I would get in these discussions about, you know, like evolution and creation and, and the historicity of the Bible, or we would talk about Calvinism and Arminianism or, or whatever was going on in their minds at that moment. And I remember I would give my best arguments and my great discussions. And we would go at it for like a couple, you know, like an hour over coffee. And then I would leave and I'd be like, man, I just, man, I was killing it in there. Like I was killing it. Everything he had, I had an answer. Everything he had about evolution, about the Bible, about this, about that. I always had an answer. I always could, could prove myself. I was killing it. And never talking about Jesus, never getting to Jesus. And I'm sure the enemy was sitting there like, yeah, you're killing it. Keep it up. Keep arguing about evolution. Keep arguing about creation. Keep talking about the Bible. Keep talking about everything on the periphery. Just don't get to Jesus. 
But the word, the word persuade, when we're persuading people, it's that we want to win people to the Savior that's won us over. In a winsome way, we want people to hear the gospel and trust the gospel. We want them to see and to Savior, this beautiful Savior that we have come to see. We want them to hear the, the clarity of this gospel that saves sinners like you and me. That's what it means to persuade. The goal is not that people like us. The goal is that they love and trust and treasure Jesus with us. It's the first motivating factor in Paul's heart. One day we're going to stand before King Jesus. So what's going on in verse 12 and 13. He, he's saying, let me summarize verses 12 for you. He's saying, the Lord knows that this is my heart. And you should know that this is my heart. Don't look at the outward appearance. Don't look if I'm powerful. Don't look if I'm impressive. Don't look if I'm eloquent. My desire is that people know Jesus. Everything I do is in light of that day. Everything I say is in light of that day. Everything I don't say is in light of that day. The way I spend my time is in light of that day. The people I spend my time with in light of the day that I will see Jesus. What would it look like for you to live every moment in light of the truth that one day, not only me, but everybody around me will stand before Jesus? The right fear of the Lord gives us this accountability to God and integrity before people. That's what verse 13 says. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. He's saying there's times that I'm going to be caught up in worship, that, that I'm going to be praising my Savior Jesus. My joy is going to overflow in Jesus. And this is just for the glory of God. And there's other times when I'm in my right mind and I'm speaking truth and I want to be clear about the gospel and I want to call people to repentance. And that is for you. That is for your joy. And what Paul is saying, notice what he's saying in this verse. Nothing I do is in reference to me. Nothing I do is in reference to me. Everything I do is for the glory of God and for the joy of of all peoples in him. Nothing has to do with me. I'm, I'm not trying to please people. I'm not trying to impress people. I'm not trying to prove myself to people. I want to persuade people to see and savor Jesus. See, the truth is that one day we will all stand before Jesus. I'll have to give an account, and so will you. I'll have to show how I lived and how I loved, and so will you. I'll have to give an account for what I said and what I didn't say, and so will you. I'll have to answer for what I did with the gospel of Jesus, and so will you. And if you think it's going to be awkward now, wait until that day. When a friend says, why didn't you tell me that I would stand before Jesus? Why didn't you tell me that this day was coming when I would have to give account for what I did with Jesus? Well, well I wanted you to like me. 
Who do we fear? Do, do we fear people and want to please people? Or do we fear the Lord and want to persuade people to treasure Jesus? We have to have the right fear. And second of all, we have to have the right love. That's the other motivating factor. It's the right love. Every single person in here this morning loves someone or something. That's what your heart does. It loves. The heart loves what it loves. So the question is, what's the love that rules your heart today? What love is ruling your heart? And for most Americans, we'll just say sinners throughout the world, the love of us controls us. The love of ourselves controls us. We're controlled by, ruled by the love of self. Everything we do runs through these questions in our mind. No matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing, if we're at work, if we're at home, this is what's going on, the filter in our self-centered hearts sometimes. What do I want to do? Will this make me happy? Will this fulfill me? Will this satisfy me? What do I want? And everyone in the world is going to cheer on this kind of love. In fact, the world around us disciples your heart to love yourself like that. That was my world before Jesus. Sounded a lot like Drew's testimony a minute ago. My, my world before Jesus is I cared a whole lot about girls. I cared a lot about my performance on the basketball court. I, I I wanted to grow in popularity. I wanted to be approved of. And at the center of all that, deep down, was a love for self. A love for self. I mean, to be brutally honest, my love, my love, or my fear of people, my people-pleasing, and your fear of people, your, your people-pleasing really down, deep down, is just a love for self. Your people-pleasing, your fear of people really deep down is just a love for self. And what we really need is for the gospel to bring a Copernican revolution in our hearts. You're like, do what? I don't see that in the text. Is that the Greek? No. What we need is a Copernican revolution in our hearts. See, before the 16th century, the world believed that everything revolved around the earth. It was a, a geocentric view of the world, right? Everything revolved around the earth. There was a second century mathematician astronomer, Ptolemy, who's taught this view. Everything, the moon, Venus, Mars, all the stars, the sun, everything revolves around us. Everything revolves around the earth. But then in the 16th century, Nicholas Copernicus, a Polish astronomer, comes along and teaches this radical new theory that changes, revolutionizes the way that we see the world forever. The way that we see the universe forever. And you know what he said? Hopefully some of the kids here have learned this and know this. This is what he said. It's not that everything revolves around us. Everything actually revolves around the sun. It's not that everything revolves around us. It's that everything revolves around the sun. 
And the gospel is this exact revolutionary truth. It's this supernatural disruption that takes place in our selfish hearts that says, you know what? The world doesn't actually revolve around me. The world revolves around the sun. The, the world revolves around the sun of God. God created the world to be all about Jesus, to be all about the glory and the beauty of Jesus, that we would be enamored and overwhelmed with Jesus and impressed by Jesus and drawn to Jesus and can't take our eyes about, off Jesus and love and are satisfied with Jesus. It's not about me. And it's not about you. And if you believe that this morning, this is good news. It's actually the freest news that you'll ever believe. It doesn't have to be about you. You don't have to be the center of the universe. No, it's a Christ-centered universe. But here's the mistake we often make and we miss about this point of the passage. We could think, like many of us think, like, like I would even say many churches teach on a regular Sunday morning. Life is not about my love for me. No, my life should be about my love for Jesus. My life should be about my love for Jesus. So life becomes all about how much love can I muster up for Jesus? And how much can I sacrifice for Jesus? And how much willpower can I ignite for Jesus? And how many good works can I do to show Jesus that I really love him? So sermons, you'll hear just like this that say, if you really love Jesus, if you were really a Christian, you would share the gospel more. But that's not the answer. That's the wrong answer. Your love for Jesus will never be enough to motivate you. Your love for Jesus will never be enough to empower you to live for Jesus. Your love for Jesus is not a deep enough well to draw from every single day. That, that's a well that will run dry. That's exactly why Paul says in verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. The, the answer is not you loving yourself more. The answer is not you loving Jesus more. It's to be moved by, to be empowered by, to be overwhelmed by the love of Jesus for you. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And Paul's saying here, the power of God for motivation. His love controls us. His love controls us. There is a propelling force to the love of Christ. When you behold the sacrificial love of Jesus on the cross, when you're struck for the first time by his love for a sinner like you. For, for what kind of sinner? When you're struck for his love for a self-centered person like you, a self-absorbed 
person like you that's obsessed with himself, when you're struck by his selfless love for a selfish person like you, oh, the gospel begins to control you. His love begins to control you. You naturally want to love yourself. But the gospel supernaturally takes control through his love. So, so listen, the goal is not to leave here today trying hard to love Jesus more. But to behold the love of Jesus that he already has for you. Because if you're not careful, you'll be trying hard to love Jesus more in hopes that he might love you in return rather than being obsessed by the fact that he would love a sinner like you so that the fruit would be that you would love and go and share like you never have before. When you behold the self-initiating love, the self-emptying love, the self-sacrificial love, the completely completely selfless love of Jesus on the cross. It's really hard to be selfish. It's really hard to be self-absorbed when we're so captivated by the love of Christ. That's why when you demand that, that demand your way with your wife, or when you make everyone else surrender to your desires, or, or you make them order their lives around what benefits you, or, or you give yourself over to the flesh again and again and again, or you make your kids walk on eggshells because they're scared to displease you. It's not the love of Christ that controls you. It's still the love of self. When those things are happening, it's not the love of Christ that's controlling you. It's the love of self. And when you keep this good news of the gospel to yourself, it's not the love of Christ that controls you. It's the love of self. Paul says this is what happens when we behold his love. Brothers and sisters, this is what the gospel does when we think about Jesus when we trust and collapse on the love of Christ. Paul says in this verse, Jesus died for all. He said, this, we've come to this conclusion. Jesus died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus died and rose again so that we can die to our love of self and live for the one who would love us and give himself up for us. Maybe the simplest way to put this is 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. It simply says this. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. That's the Christian life. We're not trying really hard to muster up love for Jesus. No, we love because he first loved us while we were still sinners. 
Christ died for us. One day we will all stand before King Jesus. And this should fill every single one of us this morning with the right kind of fear. It should make us be in awe of Jesus. If you're a believer this morning, this should leave you in awe that you will one day stand before Jesus so that you want to live every second in light of that day. You want to do everything you do and say everything you say that it might please your Savior, Jesus Christ. An unbeliever, you, you should think that one day that you're going to stand before Jesus. And you're going to have to give an account for every word you said, everything you've ever thought, everything that you've ever done. You're going to have to give an account before Jesus. But more importantly than that, you're going to have to give an account with what you've done with Jesus Christ, who is, came to be your Savior and came to be your Lord. One day we will stand before Jesus. But the good news is that one day, 2,000 years ago, while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ came. The King Jesus that we will one day stand before came to die for sinners like us. Literally, love came down to earth to live for us. And love died in our place. And love rose again for us. And as we behold his great love for us, Despite us, despite our self-centered hearts, how could it not fill us with love? How could such love not loosen our grips on loving ourselves and free us to love him and love others? How could such love not, not just send us to share with our neighbors and to share with our coworkers and our classmates and even share with those who've never heard of the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Well, this type of love can do that. And this kind of love will do that. And my prayer is that it does it this morning in our hearts so that we fear him rightly and we love rightly because he first loved us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help your people this morning. Lord, to see you rightly, to see that one day, Lord, we will stand before your presence. We will stand before your glory, Lord, and we will give an account for everything we've ever said, everything we've ever done, everything we've ever thought. And so, Lord, I pray that we would live in light of that day, living in awe of our King, living in awe of King Jesus who rules and reigns right now over all the world and that all people will have to stand before. And, Father, I pray that you would also help us love you rightly. Lord, you would help us be captivated by the love of Jesus for sinners like us. That, Lord, despite our self-love, despite how we, Lord, are so obsessed with ourselves, Lord, while we were still sinners, 
Christ came to die for us. Christ came to live a righteous life we could never live and, and die a sinner's death that we deserve to die and rose again that we might turn from our self-centered love, our self-centered sin, and that we might treasure Jesus, our Lord and Savior, that he might be king forever. Lord, I pray, fill us with fear and awe and respect and adoration for Jesus, and Lord, fill us with his love that we might love like Jesus. Lord, you do this for the glory of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.